My name is Nicholas Danforth, and I'm an editor at War on the Rocks. You are listening to The Warcast, the members-only podcast for what you need to know now. In his first international trip since the invasion of his country, Ukrainian President Zelensky visited Washington yesterday to meet with the president and to address Congress. Here to discuss the visit is Olga Olikar, the program director for Europe and Central Asia at the International Crisis Group. Thank you so much for joining us on The Warcast. Thank you for having me. What have your main takeaways been from Zelensky's visit so far? So I don't think that I have huge takeaways. This is some kind of a game changer. I think the point of this visit is to keep attention on Ukraine at a time when the battlefield dynamics are actually fairly static. uh, And also in preparation for a new Congress being seated to kind of just demonstrate to Americans, to the world, to that Congress, that there's bipartisan support for Ukraine. Uh, You know, you take the opportunity, you announce the package of aid, and all eyes stay on Ukraine without requiring a massive new counteroffensive, which doesn't look like it's going to happen in the immediate future, um, or some other uh, major change which nobody can deliver. Was there anything in Zelensky's speech itself that stood out to you? Look, it was a good speech. The man has good speechwriters. He does this excellent job when addressing Western audiences of saying, on the one hand, thank you, and on the other hand, uh, you know, do more. And I think the point of the do more isn't that he expects necessarily to convince the U.S. Congress of, oh, my God, we haven't given this man everything he wants. Let's, Let's start doing that. You know, it sends a signal both back home in Ukraine and to audiences all around the world that he is asking for these things. And from a negotiating standpoint, right, it's a, it's a form of anchoring, right? You keep asking for more, you normalize that ask. That um, So what you're getting isn't quite enough, that more could be done. And then the next time you ask, that seems even more reasonable and even more reasonable and even more reasonable. And it's, you know, then the other parties, they'll give you more and you'll ask for still more. So it's a very rational uh, public negotiating approach. And I was going to say, right, from the outside, it seems like Zelensky's always done a very good job of walking that line in his public statements of expressing gratitude, but still pushing for more support. I'm curious, behind the scenes, you know, how does his government feel about the amount of aid and support that they've been getting? Look, they could always use more. And when we're talking about aid, we're talking both about military aid and the wide range of humanitarian and economic support. And it is Western assistance that is keeping Ukraine afloat right now. Uh, And they do need more of it, right? This is a country that is being consistently bombarded by Russian missiles and Iranian drones uh, operated by Russia. Uh, The electricity is out for chunks of time throughout the country. There's a joke that goes around Ukraine, which was, uh, what did we use for light before we had candles? And the answer is electricity. Um, So they always, of course, they need more. Uh, And I think the government recognizes the importance, the government, the population, everybody recognizes the importance of the president going out there and making sure that he does retain that support. they all, and they welcome it. I don't, you know, I think this is one thing where, you know, where opposition parties and so forth are not going to judge Zelensky. And I would also say, in general, in the middle of a war, what um, what dissent there is 
tends to be behind closed doors, right? And there's a very strong desire to maintain a united front. So again, you're going to get a rah-rah, our, you know, our president is fantastic. Look at him in the middle of a war. He's able to go to the United States, come back with this tremendous aid package. That's exactly what we need. Um, you know, do they want, uh, when the next election comes along, are there people who would like to see another president take office in Ukraine? Sure. It's a, you know, it's a democratic country in that sense, and it's a contested political space. But, you know, they're not going to complain about the way that uh, Zelensky delivers these excellent speeches uh, to a variety of audiences. Now, on the U.S. side, it's, is it too early to judge the response? Where do you think, where do you think attitudes towards support for Ukraine are headed right now? So I think we are going to see in the new Congress um, more of an emphasis on oversight of aid. I don't think that's necessarily a terrible thing. It is a way for the Republicans to say that we're holding this government to account and uh, also continue to support Ukraine, right? So it's a nice way to thread that needle. It also makes sense. This is just an awful lot of stuff. And look, we know from Afghanistan how difficult it is to maintain good accountability of weapons and assistance. Uh, so trying to get a handle on it is going to make sense. And I think that is going to be um, a major issue for this Congress. But I think opposition to continue to support Ukraine is going to be really fringe. It's going to continue to be really fringe. This will, the sort of the support Ukraine weaken Russia mandate is one of the very few things that has bipartisan support. So, you know, look, you can always find, um, you can always find areas of disagreement you, and uh, the Republicans will be looking for issues and uh, for issues on which they can uh, um, they can press on the administration, but overall, I think there's no reason to think uh, that there's going to be any real wavering and um, broad support for Ukraine. Now you're based in Brussels. Tell us a little bit about the mood in Europe right now. Uh, the mood in Europe right now is. Um, that Brussels is emptying as everybody goes off on vacation. Uh, nobody is left to the city pretty much uh, by the end of December. Um, so I think, but I think here too, the overall, um, the overall unity in supporting Ukraine is has been consistent, remains consistent. Look, this has been consistent since 2014 when the war began, right? Uh, that for all the discussions, for all the debates, for all the concerns, you know, for all those years of will the sanctions package be renewed, each time it was renewed. And then in February, when Russia launched its full-scale invasion, just this tremendous outpouring of support, you still see Ukrainian flags uh, all over the place. Uh, so, you know, there's no reason to think that anything is shifting. I think here, too, there are concerns about accountability of assistance. Um, and that is going to remain a factor, but you know the general support is is solid. Um, you know where you get debates, where you might get kind of a disconnect between what uh, the United States, a lot of EU and NATO member states, not all, not all though, and Ukraine think is this question of how do the how does the war end? Uh, you know, what, ki what kind of military assistance and how fast should Ukraine be written that blank check that Republican leaders uh, worry about? Um, 
I think there you do have dissent and disagreement. There's dissent and disagreement over policy towards Russia, um, though, again, in a narrower space than maybe um, one might have expected uh, some time back. Uh, but, you know, the general, the general policy line is uh, largely agreed. One final question. Putin just made an announcement about the future of uh, Russian force size. I want to get your thoughts on that. Right. So it's it's really interesting because what we're talking about is this official Russian force size, right? What's on, you know, what they say is the size of their armed forces. And what they're saying is they're raising it uh, to one and a half million from 1.15 million. I honestly don't think Russia has 1.15 million troops now. Um, even with this mobilization, they say brought in another 300,000, even as it drove at least that many out of the country, people who didn't want to be mobilized. Um, and, you know, they ended that mobilization. They said, we're done, we're good. And now they're saying, no, we're going for 1.5 million. I don't know how, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how this works. There are also a lot of reorganization aspects that they announced. You know, there's a move in Russia to try to convince the Russian population that this is World War II they're fighting. And I do see this as part of this kind of this general mobilization that we have all hands on deck, we have to do everything possible. But there's also been a lot of frustration with mobilization. There's been people are nervous about what happens when their men are sent to the front lines and not adequately equipped, not adequately trained. Uh, you know, people don't want the male members of their families to die for the most part, right? Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to watch how this plays out, right? Which, what public opinion polling in Russia shows is that Russians are very nervous about talking to pollsters. Um, so it's really hard to understand what people actually think. But this effort to convince the entire population of the Russian Federation that this is World War II all over again. I don't know if that could be, I, I don't know how well that's actually working or how well that's going to work if they really do try to get more Russians uh, into uniforms. Always a pleasure to have you on the Warcast. Thank you again. Always a pleasure to join you.